open up your Bibles to Jude as we continue our study there. We're looking at the last couple of, of notes we had there on those first couple of verses. Uh, and we, were look, we looked at sanctification and then preservation, just a few more things to reference there regarding preservation, but I want to read those first two verses of Jude one more time. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. The last couple of things that we discussed there was how God needed to, or God knows our need. Um, we need to come away from the things we ought not have anything to do with because the Lord knows what we need. And His leadership, His sanctification, His preservation, uh, it will endure, but He leads. He leads. So this means we don't remain where we've been found. This means that there's long suffering for those as they're coming away from such things, but he leads. As he's gathering home, as we just sang, we are called to follow. And some of these words literally imply a dragging after him. Plain and simple, as we said last time, it's not enough to know of him. We must know him. In these latter times where there's rumors of wars and rumors in, uh, in general, and constantly strife and constantly drama, there are also some very strong biblical signs or at least types of biblical signs that ought to remind us that God is in control of all things. Steve and I were both here. Uh, I thought I beat him here. He, he corrected me pretty quick. But we were both here pretty early today, and we're talking about how the Euphrates River is drying up. Does anybody know that that's pretty significant? And it's not the vial. But it certainly is a type of that vial that's spoken of there in Revelation. And we're just starting to see some of the destruction and the devastation that's coming from just a portion of the Euphrates River drying up. Uh, there's pictures now being released of what they're finding in the riverbeds. Uh, they look almost like uh, prison bars, prison cells in the clay. Why don't you go in Revelation tonight as your homework take a look at what will be freed from beneath the Euphrates River. Now, I'm not saying these are the vials. I believe we'll be raptured before these things occur. But I am saying that the Lord is permitting these reminders for us because we ought to be watching. And we ought to see these things and take note and plead with the lost in our lives that the day is quickly coming for which we will not be here anymore. The day is quickly coming for not just those born again being gone, but the churches ceasing to exist they'll no doubt make a mockery of these buildings of the beliefs that we stood for they won't touch us but i don't even know how to describe what you will experience if you remain none of, no one here does no no man in recent history has any idea no man in any portion of history aside from before the flood has any idea what life will be like without the restraining hand of god against his own wrath on this world. Dear friends, you should not be wandering, and the church should not be left wondering where you are and what your need is. The church, Berea Baptist Church, she ought to be able to know where you are. She ought to be able to know what your need is. She ought to be able to know if she's fitting that need. 
And we said last time, would this be a healthy relationship with your spouse if you didn't know she was sick? If, if Clark had come in recent weeks and we said, where's Sister Bree? He says, I don't know. I thought she was here. I thought you knew where she'd be. Am I my wife's keeper? Of course, we wouldn't expect him to say that this is his wife. The Lord knows where his wife is. The Lord knows where his churches are, what his churches are doing. These epistles that we have in the New Testament, do you know that they were written to troubled churches that had issues that needed corrected? That was a sign of mercy of God, that a man was uh, burdened with the word of God to write unto them. We don't have a single epistle to a perfect church. And no, that does not mean that Macedonia was perfect. We don't have a single epistle to a church praising them for being 100% spot on with the commandment of God. That's a warning unto us. Consider what it says in John chapter 5, and this really begins our, our look at discernment, and, uh, and, and I apologize that it's probably not a traditional thing for a Baptist preacher to have one theme cross over all of the messages that he's preaching. I would apologize, but I couldn't honestly tell you that it was me. The Lord has really put on my heart at the end of 2022 that we must preach discernment. And for a multitude of reasons I won't take the time to go into, it is absolutely important that each and every member here has a level of discernment. You are being poisoned day in and day out by this world. I cannot go with you, nor am I even probably equipped to go with you and say, stay clear of that. Don't go into there. Don't try this thing. Don't read that thing. Don't click this. Don't go into that ad. Don't read that article. Don't watch this new station. You must have discernment. And what we've seen over the last three years in our nation is that we, we have an outcry. Don't watch CNN. They're horrible. And what does that do to the sheep? <laughs> we run to the next station. Until somebody says, Fox News is safe. Come over here. And then something happens on Fox News and <laughs> all the sheep run somewhere else. This is the word of God. This is the living, breathing, inspired word of God. Run to this. You will never have a reason to run from it. The truth shall set you free. You'll no longer be enslaved to CNN, Fox, Sesame Street. They're all toxic. They're all toxic in one way or another. John chapter 5, verse 39 through 47, John says this. Search the scriptures this is his writing search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me this is the lord speaking john writing and ye will not come to me that ye might have life i receive not honor from men but i know you that ye have not the love of god in you i am come in my father's name and ye receive me not if another shall come in his own name him ye will receive. And we're about to see that in these last days, in these end times. One's going to come in his own name. And believe me, the world will receive him. The world will embrace him. The world will chant his name. And beloved, if you, if you know anything about worldly events, there are so many who could fall into this spectrum. Uh, from the supreme leader of China I mean, there's just so many that would fall into this perspective of leading a mighty, powerful group. 
and being inspirational because we're so in need of inspiration. We're so weak. We don't need inspiration. We need the Word of God. We need repentance. You know who was inspired? Nimrod. You know who was inspired? Cain. We don't need inspiration. We need regeneration. We need God. He goes on to say, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had, he, had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? What the Lord is saying here is the law. The law is your schoolmaster, but it's also your accuser. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the law reveals in you all of that wickedness. And then it reveals one more very important thing. Are you atoned for? Are those sins atoned for? It's very much like a debtor's court, is it not? If paid in full can't be stamped next to these uh, 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 accusations that the law reveals, then you will pay in full for all eternity. One way or another, it will be paid for. John writing again in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, This then is the message which ye have heard of him, and declare unto you. Sorry, I don't know how to hang up a jacket, apparently. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Well, that's pretty straight to the point, Brother John. That lays it out pretty well. We have a way in which to measure all things then. If there's any darkness in it, there's no God. If there's any darkness in it, any confusion in it, it's not God. He doesn't work in confusion. He works in a multitude of ways. But he is not some wicked dictator seeking to confuse all, littering us with riddles. What are the parables? Are they not revealed? Are they not? Re Does Jesus in his earthly ministry not sit down with the disciples and reveal unto them what they are ready to have revealed unto them in 100% accuracy? Has the Spirit not revealed unto you, born-again believer, those same parables? God does not work in confusion or darkness at all, John says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Apply your discernment, dear Bible students. Do you walk in darkness with this world in any form, in any fashion? You have not fellowship with God. Repent. Repent today. Oh, pastor, that'll be shameful. It's going to be way worse. It's going to be way worse if you don't. But then people will know I'm not perfect. And none are. All who truly know God have repented. And all who truly love God repent quite often. Come away from such things. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... 
we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We have a problem as human beings with pride. What keeps you from repenting? What keeps you, who were sprinkled as children, as I was, from submitting to water baptism if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? It's pride. There can be nothing else. This water has nothing in it. It's literally coming from a hose in a wall, being heated by a heater. This water is just a picture of what happened in you. So I have to ask, did it happen in you? Are you born again? And that same pride that wells up within us that says, I can't go before Brother Clark and Brother Isaac and the rest of the church and repent. They'll think less of me. That has never happened one single time in the history of man for those who are truly born again. In fact, people tend to believe your salvation even more when you have been led to repent. So I ask again, do you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? It is no shameful thing to come up and say you're a sinner. John just illustrates here that if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. Now that is a shameful thing. And it also says there's no darkness at all in God. And it also says that he cleanses us from all sin, all repented sin. All sin brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, done away with, turned away from. He cleanseth us from it all. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That might seem like a con contradiction to that last verse. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How can we have sin yet if we have repented and he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness? Because you're still living. Because you're still living in a defiled body. I gotta tell you, as I'm getting older, my body might be a better liar than my mind. I try to spring up out of bed, only 41 years old, and my back acts like I'm 100. And my arm still, to this moment right now, since I woke up, has been numb. I mean, you can feel it. This arm's way colder than this arm. I don't know what's happening. It's working. It's moving. But my body is lying to me and saying there's something going on. Some doctor in the room will tell me, well, that's a sign of something else. But listen to me. What you've repented of is washed away. If you're repenting in faith, if you're born again, it is removed, as this verse says... And a new sin will try to creep in and take its place. And you'll have to repent again. And it will, by faith, be removed and washed away. And a new sin will then again try to enter into that empty house. And you will repent again and it will be removed and washed away. And then somebody else will get in your face. And a new sin will enter in. How many times have you, uh, and I think of Clark with the long drive that you have, you get up, you feel pretty good, and something happens on that drive. 
And you're not the person when you arrive in Corinth that you were when you left the house. A new sin has entered in. A new thought. Oh, if we could turn these minds off. And I think if we could, we'd figure out a way to turn these tongues off. But a new sin enters in. And we must repent. He is faithful, it says here. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. That means the problem isn't him. It's us. We fail to repent. We fail to come clean. We fail to be done with such things. We just keep stringing her along, don't we? We're going to break up. You and me. You, sin, and me. We're going to break up. We're going to be done. And then we just bring her back in again. Or bring him again. Whoever. And then when it gets too tough and we're reminded of the truth, we say, well, we're going to have to be done again. You shouldn't be here. And we call her back in again. Sin isn't something we happen to uh, experience as though it happens to us. A decision is made for us to embrace it or repent of it. There are people's sins, other people's sins that happen to us, but how we react to that is either the welcoming of it in or the calling it for what it is and being done with it. It's the same with forgiveness. If you do not have this relationship with those that you should be calling brethren, repent. Repent that the Lord might pour his love unto you. Our God loves repentance. I heard Jim Duke say that in October when I was preaching their revival. Boy, that really stuck with me. Because we hate it. But God loves repentance. God loves it when his children come before him and say, I have nothing. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. I only have strength that you have imparted. I only have wisdom that you have granted. I only have the access and only desire the access that you have allowed for. If you want me to be done with my job, I'll follow after you. If you want me to be done with uh, eating this certain food or done with this type of language or done with this type of television show or this type of entertainment, I'll follow you. I'll figure it out because I'll trust in thee. How could God not love repentance? It's the only time we're ever honest about sin. Have you here today been honest about sin? Have you identified it in your members? John writes again in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If the Samaritan shutteth up his bowels of compassion, he'd be another name that went on the other side of the road. Would he not? The Levite, the priest, that's what they did. They shut it. They saw him. We see that, and, and uh, I, I hesitate to call it a parable. I believe it happened. But we see that they saw this man. They acknowledged that something happened. There's a need, and they shut up their bowels of mercy and walked on the other side. But the Samaritan... The Samaritan, who is the example of neighborliness that Christ is pointing to, that even the lawyer he spoke to that day acknowledged it was him that showed compassion, said that he was a neighbor. 
Are you a neighbor to one another in here? Are you neighborly to one another? Do you have compassion on one another? We see this phrase that John uses here, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And we may immediately think that this means that if a live grenade's thrown in here, whoever jumps on it, that's the only one who ever truly laid his life down. And Isaac's wearing Captain America tie clip, so maybe he'll be the one to do it, because it was illustrated by Captain America. That's not what's being referenced here. This is talking about pride. What you have as a life in this world, most of it's ego. Most of it these days is reputation. They have reputation scores, so you know how you're doing on social media. You know if you're doing a good job or not. Way to go. That sort of thing. Lay down that life for the brethren. We have needs here. We have needs here. Have you laid down your life for the needs of the Lord's church? It's way more than that tithe box. Each of us, not just your pastor, each of us has inherited what began with Brother Milburn, what consisted with Brother Chris, the board that's behind Kayla with all those missionaries on it. They're trusting in the Lord that their needs will be provided for. Have you laid down your life, your reputation, and prayed for them? Have you put down yourself for even a moment and prayed for the pastor? for this paper, for the works that take place next door? Have you laid down your life and said, how might I help? What can I do? Some of you have. Maybe all of you have over the years. But this is what it means to lay down your life. It doesn't necessarily mean die. In a lot of ways, dying is easy. Not the way the Lord did it. But in a lot of ways, doing what we are fated to do anyway isn't such a hard thing but to die unto yourself now that is a challenge and the only way to do that is to repent each time you know that you should and you don't you lay another brick another brick on that tower of babylon another brick on your own tower of puffed upness and when you get to the top of that tower you won't come back down voluntarily. The Lord will have to bring you down. You know, we look at things and we say, oh, life has fallen apart. Sometimes it's fallen into place. Sometimes you've built up sandcastles that don't belong there. Sometimes those things have to crumble because they weren't built on a solid foundation. Sometimes they have to be dismantled, destroyed, or blown up because it isn't what God had for you. You want what God has for you, I promise you. You want the feeling. I mean, how, how many want to go to the next funeral and not hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? We want for each other to have the will of God, to have the blessing of God. We want for each other that at my funeral you all might say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what a servant doesn't do? Make a name for himself bigger than his master. A servant doesn't please himself before his master. Think of that faithful servant in Genesis that we talked about. We don't even know his name. We could speculate. He's the oldest servant in Abraham's house. It's not too hard, but he's not named in that entire chapter. Why? 
He's not even praying for his own contentment. He's praying that the Lord would bless his master's prayer. That the Lord would make his mission fruitful for his master. And that ought to be the prayer of each one of us. That the Lord would make for our missions to be fruitful, to honor and glorify our master. We have such a short season that we call life. It seems long because it's all we get here. But it's so short. So short. I think of what Sam Rue preached last Sunday. And he talked about his daughter. And if you were paying attention, you note that he, he fully admitted that's what it took to bring his pride down. His prideful tower of Babylon had to be crumbled by the death of his daughter. What will it take for us? I've lost three. Three miscarriages. And I, I never thought I'd say this, but those were a blessing compared to what Samru went through. Having held that baby, having named that baby, having known that child's cry, that amount of time would have been enough that he would have known what each cry meant if he was paying attention. Whether she was hungry, whether she was in pain, whether she was just tired, it would have been long enough he would have known those cries. And then one day, the tower fell. We have examples in the Bible where busted lamps and shouting out chants the Lord gave folks was enough to bring down a multitude. Sounding trumpets and marching about the city is enough to bring down a city. He doesn't even need that to bring us down. Won't you repent today? Won't you understand that he is way bigger than you are? Understand that you've made some mistakes, sure, but maybe you've embraced them. Maybe the love of money is dictating your decisions. Maybe the love of self keeps you from studying the word of God because it hurts. Because it's not about you. Listen, and I know you've all heard it before, but whatever you put before God as your excuse to not serve, he will remove it. If you're his, he will remove it. Well, that's asking an awful lot. He must love you an awful lot then. He must love you an awful lot. First time I saw that was when the notion of this virtual conference we did three years ago came up. And before we even had the first sermon recorded, it was becoming real clear I wasn't going to be able to pastor and work full time and do this thing. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. Maybe this ought to fall on somebody else. Maybe this ought to shrink down, be less than what it already is. And it was less than 24 hours. I was laid off. Less than 24 hours of saying my secular job is more important than what you're calling me to do here. Less than 24 hours of acknowledging that my kids might not be fed if I don't work. Oh, ye of little faith, who gave you that job, God said. Who gave you those children, God said. Consider the lilies, God said. 
Do I not take care of all things? Have I not maintained my creation for all the time in which I have edict it to be cared for? And it's as though he said, You dare bring this before me as an excuse to not serve? Then you won't have it. And you'll learn to trust me. It's not near the emotional story that Samaru had. And I don't think it should be. I caution you, beloved. This is not a sermon looking to find members. I'm looking to spare your heart. Repent right now. Get those things out of that seat that belongs to God. Aaron's sons were going to have a responsibility as far as what Moses was told. And they decided to take it upon themselves to burn strange fire in the place in which God had commanded it not to be done. So God called up Aaron and said, I need you to talk to your boys. I need you to straighten them out. Ground them. Give them a timeout. Speak some sense into them. Does anybody really know this story? What'd God do? Burn them up. Nothing left. Aaron wept. Their uncle Moses wept but had to lead. And they both understood this is the will of God. They weren't honorable to him. They were not seeking his will. As Paul had preached here a couple weeks back, they weren't pacing themselves behind the will of God. They saw fit to do what they wanted to do and did it. God won't have it. All that roaming around, everything that came after that, Aaron did it without those two boys. But God is a God of love. Is he now? How do you define love? I challenge you this week to find out how you got that definition of love, and if it didn't come from scriptures, be done with it. This is God. This is God. When you do the other homework I gave you and dig into Revelation and learn about that vial in which the Euphrates will really be dried up, not just dried up because Turkey's probably fooling around, but really dried up and what will be unleashed you come back and tell me about this God of love and what he will and won't do. It'll be enough to make you repent because you haven't heard the truth of God if you don't believe that he'll do those things. Beloved, you've heard examples of God taking jobs that were set in his seat. You heard an example of God taking a child that was set in his seat. What is it that you have in his seat right now? I, you better repent and repent quick. Don't do it for my sake. Don't do it so the Bereans can brag throughout the week, so-and-so repented, and we had the Holy Spirit moving in worship. Who cares about what the rest of this city, the rest of Facebook, the rest of YouTube will hear about what took place today? Who do you have sitting on this throne that belongs to God? Slay it. Slay it now. Slay it fast. Slay it without thinking about it for another moment. Be freed from such things. The hour is quickly upon us. The hour is quickly upon us. 
And I would argue your lamp is not trimmed if you've got somebody else sitting in God's seat. There's a lot of other things I might argue as well, but you're not watching for him. You might be watching out for him. There's a difference. My kids watch for me to come home excitedly, and when they watch for me to come home because they don't want to get caught. There are two different ways to watch. Which do you think is the one God was talking about? How dwelleth the love of God in him whose bowels of compassion have been shut up, who's unwilling to lay down his life, his reputation for the brethren? It's yet another great question from Scripture for us to consider. I want to close with one more reading of, of John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Uh-oh, is the preacher about to contradict himself in his closing scripture? Keep listening. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. What's described here is the love of God in the form of a sacrifice. And whatever you have in God's seed is what you cherish, your beloved. And he's calling for you in love to sacrifice it. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another.